Perverted, brought to you by Sputnik Africa. Hey everyone, I'm your host Victor Anakin and this is Afro Verdict, a podcast aimed at bringing you the latest updates on local and global events. Russia is currently hosting the 20th annual meeting of the Valdai Discussion Club, a Russian-based international think tank aimed at solving global crises. So today I'm going to be discussing a number of issues ranging from BRICS and multipolarity to nuclear weapons and the Ukrainian crisis with some esteemed experts that are attending the event. In particular, I am joined by Dr. Pilanim Tembo, Executive Director of the Institute for Global Dialogue of South Africa, Dr. Rasigan Maharaj, Chief Director of the Institute for Economic Research and Innovation at Chwani University of Technology, South Africa, Irina Legovna Abramova, Director of the Institute of Africa of the Russian Academy of Sciences, as well as Jafar Geletu, Deputy Director General at the Ethiopian Institute of Foreign Affairs. First up is Dr. Mtembu. Doc, welcome. Thanks for your time. Vladimir Putin said that BRICS is not a military alliance, but rather a platform for discussing different issues last week. How can BRICS help prevent unmanageable escalation and create a new system of interaction in the world? Well, it's correct. It's not a military alliance. Uh, in fact, it's a very good platform uh, that allows uh, for consensus building amongst key issues um, in international relations. Uh, in fact, when it comes to you know bringing about uh, de-escalation, greater cooperation, I think BRICS is better placed because many of the countries, for instance, that have been calling for de-escalation, calling for global cooperation, are BRICS uh, countries. Uh, many of these countries have their own development finance institutions, they have been putting resources towards global development efforts, uh, reforming and changing the development finance landscape. And I think those are the type of voices that we need to elevate more in the global uh, uh, development uh, landscape. And so I think those observations are, are, are absolutely spot on, that BRICS countries uh, remain one of those voices that are advocating for peace, for development and for cooperation. Because they also understand that greater stability, greater development, greater cooperation is in their national interest, is in the interest of the development of their respective regions, but it's also in the broader interest of humanity. So I think BRICS is well-placed uh, to advance those goals. The BRICS Development Bank will put an end to the International Monetary Fund and World Bank dominance, according to the South Sudanese minister. Putin also said that it was necessary to change international rules on lending and debt servicing for developing countries. Now explain to us, how can the BRICS Development Bank help African nations to strengthen their financial sovereignty? So the BRICS Development Bank can certainly address the cost of finance, the cost of development finance. That's a major challenge for many developing countries. They are paying very high interest rates. The way that um, institutions in the global north calculate risk in the global south is completely wrong uh, and it's very exploitative at times uh, and very extractive. So um, that's where the new development bank can actually play a role. It can play a role in extending finance eventually beyond even the core BRICS uh, members. Uh, but also the new development bank and BRICS as a grouping can continue to apply pressure towards the Bretton Woods institutions, the IMF, the World Bank, in terms of their lending practices. Because in as much as BRICS and the new development bank will play an important role, but BRICS countries need to continue to advocate for changes in the Bretton Woods institutions so that they change their lending practices and that their lending practices become more in favor of the development priorities uh, of the global south. You know, speaking about BRICS, the bloc will soon encompass 11 nations. 
How will this joining of two new African countries, Egypt and Ethiopia in particular, affect its position on the global stage? Well, uh, it's quite important. I mean, I think, you know, firstly, when South Africa uh, joined uh, BRICS, it was an important addition. You have the largest um, uh, region, uh, essentially, of the developing world. Um, And now you've got a key country like Ethiopia, huge population, fast economic growth, a lot of uh, infrastructure projects being undertaken. Egypt on the other side also. Big population, uh, competent uh, 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 military, uh, but also playing a very key role in bridging Africa and uh, the Middle East. So the addition of uh, Egypt and Ethiopia and alongside South Africa strengthens Africa's voice uh, within the BRICS. And do you think that BRICS is becoming one of the instruments to shape a new world order? It has to be. I think that is part of its historical mandate. It has to firstly be the voice of uh, uh, creating a new economic order uh, so that economic cooperation can be advanced on better terms, especially for the developing world. And as you advance reforms economically, it also leads to positive political changes. So the BRICS have to be at the center of advancing for a new international order. Anil Suklal, South Africa's BRICS Sherpa, said that Pretoria and BRICS, as a collective, firmly stand against unilateral sanctions. How can the issue of Western unilateral sanctions be addressed within the BRICS framework? Well, already what they are doing is putting more mechanisms in place. I mean, you think about the New Development Bank, it has a target of extending about 30% of uh, loans in local currencies by 2026. That's an important measure. However, what is also important is to ensure that BRICS countries mobilize the rest of the international community to not go with unilateral sanctions. I can understand sanctions that come from the United Nations Security Council, but sanctions that are unilateral harm third countries. In fact, they harm the international development aspirations of many countries in the global south. Some of those countries that are not even directly related you know, to the countries that are being sanctioned, but they are affected by those sanctions. And so by doing that and ensuring that countries across the world are not participating in um, unilateral sanctions, that is a contribution, but it's not enough. What's important is to create alternative mechanisms, alternative trading mechanisms, alternative uh, mechanisms of exchanging uh, in, in terms of economic cooperation. And I think that's where the New Development Bank will also have to play a better role. Now, as Russia is set to become the BRICS chair next year, what are your expectations from its chairmanship? I think it's going to be quite ambitious. Um, it obviously sees BRICS as being very important uh, to its own foreign policy and its strategic interests. So I think it's going to present a very ambitious uh, agenda when it comes to uh, peace and security, when it comes to international development, but also when it comes to, remember, that will be the first meeting where the uh, expanded members are participating in. So laying down clearly the criteria for expansion, uh, but also not only full expansion, but the different types of expansion, observer status. And so I think Russia will come with a very ambitious uh, 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 presidency that injects new life into the grouping. The topic of the 20th meeting of the Valdai Discussion Club is fair multipolarity, how to ensure security and development for everyone. What solution would you propose to ensure this for the African region? Well, the African region has to coordinate better its international relations uh, amongst um, all the members of the African Union. It is important that when it comes to Africa's strategic relations, the region makes sure that its engagement with external powers is aligned with Africa's development priorities. And Africa's development priorities are outlined through Agenda 2063, 
and its various 10-year implementation plans. So by better coordinating, it will ensure that it has a stronger voice in international relations, it has a stronger voice when it comes to international development issues. And of course, with the inclusion of uh, two new African members, that will further enhance Africa's agency. For those of you that have just tuned in, this is your host, Victor Anakin, and you're listening to Afro Verdict, brought to you by Sputnik Africa. Uh, Dr. Pilani Mtembo, thanks a lot for joining us here today. Appreciate your insight into BRICS-Africa relations. Now joining me are Dr. Rasigan Maharaj and Irina Olegovna Abramova to give us their view on BRICS+, Plus, Africa's place in the multipolar world, and Russia-Africa trade. At the Valdai Forum, the participants are discussing development issues concerning all countries of the world. And according to Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, the contemporary world financial system was built to serve the so-called golden billion. What changes are needed in the global financial system to ensure that it guarantees development for all, not just the Western countries? Doc, please do go ahead. So it's a very important question that you raise. So thanks very much for the opportunity. Yeah. What's quite clear through praxis and our understanding of what's taken place over the last few decades is that the instruments set up after World War II, the Bretton Woods institutions and others, have served merely to support, to prop up and reproduce the unequal exchange dominated by a single economy and its immediate neighbors. In other words, that economy of the G7. So what we see is that, and there's a whole range, not just of direct links with these institutions, because ultimately these institutions are driven by people. And we need to be quite careful about the people inside the institutions. We need people to think of a new future, not that one of the past. And so that's why I would argue not about merely reforming Bretton Woods. We need to transform Bretton Woods. We need all of the world's people participating in determining what international multilateral fora are necessary for us. It must be the things that help us, not the things that curb our development. Ms. Abramova, what is your opinion on this issue? It must be said that the system of colonialism, which our president has spoken a lot about, has not gone anywhere, it has not collapsed, it has not been destroyed, it is just that the tools of colonialism have been modified. If uh, previously it was direct robbery and subjugation, now it is more uh, sophisticated and uh, in particular the use of such tools as the domination of the dollar, the destruction of national identity, the minimizing of space for the use of uh, home languages, the bribery of elites, sanctions and so on and so forth. The goal remains the same, the struggle for resources, the struggle for wealth, in order to ensure the free flow of wealth from the regions of the Global South, uh, which has been developing much faster than the West uh, for the last 20 years, respectively, to the West. Uh, In order to change this, we need to change, first of all, the tools, uh, because the global economic basis has already shifted from the West uh, to the South and East. As for the tools, it is quite difficult to change them, because the Global West Uh, if we can call it that, continues to use them successfully. The main tool, of course, is the domination of the dollar. Because uh, whatever we say, most of the world's transactions continue to be made in this currency. And accordingly, the US retains the function of its issuer, which, since uh, 1947, with the introduction of the Bretton Woods system, uh, is in fact the owner of the reserve currency. That is, it uh, transfers its uh, problems, including economic debt, to the whole world. Uh, Well, it is clear that in order to change this, we need to change this system. We need to move away from the dollar. Will it be a new currency? Well, for example, many people say that the dollar will be replaced by the yuan. Well, uh, most states, including those in Africa, are not interested in this. It will be, let's say, settlements in national currencies. Yes, as a transitional stage, it seems possible. Uh, But for this to happen, the trade balance between the participants in the trade process must be balanced. 
Because, for example, as far as Russia and Africa are concerned, exports to Africa are about five times higher than imports from Africa. And if with some countries uh, we can switch to settlements in the national currency, this is, of course, primarily Egypt, due to the tourist flow with a large volume of trade remaining, then with other African countries it is impossible at this stage. Mm, I think the future is really in digital currencies. And by the way, Africa in this respect, well, uh, cannot say that it is ahead of the planet, but it is uh, quite a developed region in terms of cryptocurrencies. Several African countries are among the top 10 uh, global leaders in uh, online payments. Africa is uh, also leading the way, at least in terms of uh, growth rate. I keep using the example that the first online payment in the world was done by no means in the United States, uh, nor in Europe, but in an African country, Kenya. Uh, and if you come to an African country, including in uh, many markets, you'll be able to pay for goods with your mobile phone, which is not always the case in the West. So we need to think about how to change the tools, uh, how to change the mechanisms. Because um, if we do not get away from this uh, institutional domination of the West, we will not be able to get rid of sanctions. Because uh, sanctions are to a large extent carried out due to the fact that these tools are in the hands of the West. And uh, first of all, financial flows. But I am quite optimistic about the future, because um, among other things, uh, Russia's special military operation has uh, sharply accelerated the processes of changing and breaking the old world order. This, by the way, was mentioned at this forum. Therefore, I think that, in principle, the future lies in justice and multipolarity. But we all need to work hard at it. Dr. Maharaj, to what extent is BRICS able to offer an alternative to the West-centric Bretton Woods financial system as we see it today? And what is your forecast in the future in terms of countries starting to trade in local currencies and creating the BRICS currency? So I think we are already seeing the, this dam has already been broken. It is leaking and soon that leak will turn into a flood. Yeah, Because of the real experiences of developing countries requiring finance. While they require finance for development, especially after the COVID-19 pandemic, they are faced with insurmountable debt that has accumulated, which is curbing their ability to address domestic and local challenges. Therefore, it's important that people are able to trade their way out of such situations using their own currencies. And this is the praxis that's being picked up. To that end, it also gives you an indication of how unfair the current arrangement is, where those countries that have the most need are the ones most negatively affected by the current arrangement. I think we need to be quite careful about merely replacing dollar hegemony with another hegemony. And what's quite clear, at least in terms of the discussions between Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa, plus the new entrance hopefully from next year, yeah, that we take a position that does not seek to reproduce yeah, what we've come out of. In other words, the future system should be one that's open, transparent and open to all, not one that can be captured monopolized and then weaponized against some. Mr. Bramovas, Sergei Lavrov made a statement at the Valdai Forum saying that 20 countries want to establish a partnership with BRICS. How can new BRICS members change the bloc's influence on the global arena? Yes, it should be said that now in BRICS, out of 11, three countries are African. Uh, that is more than 25%. And the voice of Africa will now be heard, including inside the BRICS platform. I should say that another such active precedent was another African country, Algeria. And Algeria was very much counting on being accepted. I think uh, it would have been very good for us, Russia, if Algeria had been accepted into BRICS, but uh, Ethiopia was accepted as a compromise. By the way, China insisted on it, because uh, Ethiopia fits very well into one belt, one road concept of a key country in the Horn of Africa. And through it, uh, through Eritrea, through the port of Djibouti, goods will go further west. Egypt has certainly the main contender, the most powerful economy in purchasing power in Africa. At current prices, uh, it is Nigeria. Nigeria, by the way, is also a contender to join BRICS. But it is a very intricate country, very complicated. 
If I was asked uh, who to accept next, of course, I would accept Algeria. But that is left uh, to the leadership of the BRICS countries to decide. I think that the domination of African countries shows that Africa's voice is increasingly being heard on the world stage. I have written about this many times, that Africa is the continent of the 21st century and is now in the tiger's lead position, as it was, for example, with China in the early 2000s. Now we are in the age of India, we realize that very well. And this competition between India and China speaks for itself. In terms of growth rates, in terms of its economic potential, in terms of demographic dividend, India is now taking the lead. We have a lot of interesting things to learn. But in about uh, 15 to 20 years, uh, Africa will occupy this position. And that is why Russia has returned to the African track of its development uh, in time to... I really hope that in 15 years we will not be in the same position with respect to Africa as we are now with respect to China. And what opportunities can the BRICS New Development Bank offer African countries? Since Dilma Rousseff, president of the NDB, said that the bank is planning to create its own loan system using local currencies. Do explain. By the way, I spoke to Dilma Rousseff just before the plenary session of the Russia-Africa Economic Forum. She gave a speech there at the plenary session as the head. Uh, she was unanimously elected as the head of the New Development Bank. The issue is that both Brazil and Russia were active supporters of the creation of a single BRICS currency, while India and China were very strongly opposed to the creation of such a currency. First of all, India, because on the one hand it was afraid of the dominance of the yuan in the creation of this currency, and on the other hand, indeed, as its global ambitions are growing, it would not want uh, any one country to dominate. And so what you said, the creation of a specialized settlement system backed by each national currency is very interesting. And again, I think you can go the digital route here, because essentially money is now a record. It's a record, albeit not on paper, but electronically. And in my opinion, it is quite realistic in our age of digitalization to move to digital currencies, but based on national currencies. Although it is very difficult to work out what will be the basis for such a mechanism, no one can agree and uh, come to a single conclusion. Either it will be gold, or it will be some kind of resources, but these are very large imbalances between countries. And I think the future in this respect lies in digital. Dr. Maharaj, BRICS will soon consist of 11 member states. Now, how will this addition of new countries, of which two are of the African continent, affect BRICS's place in the world, politically and economically? What we are seeing is a massification. In other words, where we had five, now we have 11. Yeah. And very similar to experiences of the G77 plus China, the global south as a whole, we are seeing a wider alignment of forces that collectively offer us a prospect for the global majority. It's very important recognizing in acting for the global majority, it's not acting against the global minority. Yeah? And towards this end, we must build our institutions based on a future perfect. Let's not reproduce the imperfect past that we've come from. Doc, just quickly, what is your take on the Ukrainian crisis? Uh, how do you view the situation where the West is not stopping to finance Ukraine and supplying it with weapons? So I think as a principal position, we must accept all the 8 billion of us as a human being would prefer to live in conditions of peace. But that must also be a just peace. And part of being a just peace is recognizing and respecting uh, each other in this world system that we live in. We deplore the loss of lives, or any life that's lost is a loss to us all. Within that context, it's very difficult for us in Africa to understand where rich, advanced, mature capitalist economies continue to spend money on sending arms into a conflict, in other words, escalating the conflict, as opposed to addressing the real dire needs within their own countries. One of the major funders of this war has a massive increase of those living in extreme poverty. If you look at pictures of the United States of America and the streets, people are living there. This cannot be the most advanced mature capitalist economy uh, exhibiting good characteristics. So those people in their respective countries also have to call their governments to account 
for such decisions, yeah, which run against their own domestic needs and demands. Now, our agency Sputnik, as well as the Russian channel Russia Today, have been banned by the European Union. And at the same time, Brussels demands freedom of expression in other countries and regions. How does the situation illustrate the double standards of Western countries? This isn't a revelation for us. For us in Africa, we've experienced it for a long time. The dupliciousness of what was called a Cold War for us was a hot war. Literally, Africans were killed. So as a consequence of this, we are seeing this system, this pattern, merely continuing into our present. What we are maybe more uh, positive about is more of the world has seen it. And because of that, hopefully, we don't allow it to continue. Moscow has repeatedly noted that Africa is emerging as one of the new centers of multipolarity. To what extent is it then fair to say that unipolarity has become obsolete? I think it was obsolete from its start. The question was whether we could get a coalition of those willing to stand up against it. And here we are faced with the same dilemma. We need to be quite careful about our prospects. We need to be quite critical about that. The enemy may be within. In other words, those that want to merely take the place of the hegemon and replicate that privilege and prejudice. Yeah? And they may be within our own societies in BRICS, in Africa, in the global south. And we need the collective response of all of humanity to prevent that happening, that capture. Doc, thank you very much. Mr. Abramova, Russia's trade turnover with African countries increased by 43.5% to 15.5 billion US dollars in the first eight months of 2023. Trade development was actively discussed at the Russia-Africa summit. So how do you assess the prospects for trade with their continent's countries and the possibility of minimizing the use of the dollar? Well, uh, it should be said that uh, since uh, I was at the first Russia-Africa summit too, and uh, Vladimir Putin said then, uh, by the way, uh, we had a record trade turnover with Africa in 2018, uh, 20.4 billion. And uh, he said that this uh, is uh, not enough. It would be good for us to double it in three years. But instead of doubling, we went down. So in 2021, it was, I think, about 14 or 17 billion. But COVID was there, and it's clear that all our good intentions got uh, undermined by the pandemic. But nevertheless, uh, we are still somewhere between 19 and 20 billion. The prospect is very good. First of all, not only due to the growth of our exports, which has increased uh, fivefold, but also due to the increase in uh, imports from African countries, bypassing European intermediaries. Cocoa is a prime example. We have always bought through Switzerland and Estonia. Now our economic operators are interested in having them come directly to us. As for settlements in national currency, I will again use the same example of cocoa. A very interesting mechanism has already been developed. Let's say a representative from Ghana or Cote d'Ivoire, Cote d'Ivoire standing first in Africa in terms of cocoa exports, and Ghana second, so uh, one of them opened a representative office in Russia, brings cocoa here, we settle transactions in rubles, and uh, then they buy the necessary goods here in order to send them to Ghana uh, using the ruble. Why is this necessary and why is this in rubles? Because there is an imbalance of trade. If our exports and imports are more or less balanced, uh, then we can use the swap system, meaning that uh, we can open accounts in uh, national currencies and uh, fill them respectively with goods from one country or another. For those of you that have just tuned in, this is your host Victor Anakin and you're listening to Afro Verdict brought to you by Sputnik Africa. Irina Olegovna, Dr. Maharaj, thanks a lot for digesting these complicated concepts and providing our listeners with some expert opinion. Now I'm joined by Mr. Gileto Jafar, Deputy Director General at the Ethiopian Institute of Foreign Affairs and him and I will zoom in on Ethiopia, its role in the multipolar world and we'll take a quick listen to an excerpt of Russia's President Putin's speech yesterday at the Valdai Forum and try and analyze that as well. Mr. Jafar, welcome to Afro Verdict. Thank you so much for the opportunity for the interview and 
thank you for the organizing committee for inviting me and my country to be represented in this most important forum for discussing the most pressing strategic issues in the global uh, international system. Let's start with Ethiopia's and Africa's place in today's multipolar global architecture. What is your take on that? So, uh, so this, the opinions that I'm going to be reflected uh, cannot be taken as the position of the Ethiopian government. Uh, so this is my personal opinions, so fallible as any opinions are uh, views and perspectives that I reflect only represent my opinions. Uh, that being said, uh, Ethiopia sees its uh, position in the growing multipolarity and competition in among the great powers of Russia, China uh, and the US or the so-called the collective West as being uh, these powers first of all after the end of the Cold War uh, in 1991 the West uh, especially with the leadership of the US has dominated the global system including global institutions uh, overall having these institutions is not entirely bad idea the problems uh, comes and there are so shortcomings in the management of global problems that the West, uh, I think in my opinion, has uh, abused its uh, uh, dominant position uh, after the second, uh, the, after the end of the Cold War, that uh, the used double standards, you know, they intervened in the sovereign uh, territory of other countries uh, to uh, make sure uh, their national securities. Uh, uh, the idea of these global institutions were set up uh, to protect humanity and to resolve collective problems of human beings rather than being used as tools of uh, advancing the interest of a specific country or specific group of countries. With the rise of China and Russia and other BRICS uh, countries that they started to question this uh, biased and you know uh, specific uh, abuse of these multilateral institutions and the system leadership of the West to advance the interest of uh, the thinking and the narrative of Western countries. They started to question that, and by now, the, this questioning has matured enough that these countries are, you know, challenging the Western abuse of this system, and they're trying to make, uh, you know, assert their uh, positions in this system, you know. They're raising uh, very interesting and significant questions about the fairness of uh, these countries. So, uh, Ethiopia, you know, with this and uh, the West has uh, started, you know, uh, to maintain its dominant position within this system. So what the, what the Eastern powers, particularly China and Russia and other uh, middle-level countries are raising is interesting, but when they raise that kind of question, it should not uh, escalate into confrontation, you know. That's, uh, we need to uh, balance the need to reform and, you know, to, 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 to balance these institutions to serve the interest of all countries fairly, equally, with respect to the sovereign interests of these other uh, countries. So there is uh, good questions and they, they want to reform these institutions, but the process, uh, you know, should not go, get out of control uh, so much so that, that this, leads to, lead, this leads to into a confrontation and a conflict among these major powers. So Ethiopia tries to balance between these uh, great powers and uh, t uh, tries tries to uh, advise these countries to balance their interests and to self-regulate uh, themselves and their actions so that we don't have, you know, this uh, nuclear exchanges and that would destroy uh, the entire humanity.
Moscow has repeatedly noted that Africa is emerging as one of the new centers of multipolarity. To what extent is it then fair to say that unipolarity has become obsolete? We're in, in a period of transition. The, the status quo powers that have dominated the global system, they are not completely and totally out of the system, you know, dominated. They have the legacy power to control these institutions and the global system. They have the economic and military and the political power uh, to uh, manage things uh, the way they want. Uh, and these uh, other countries, Russia and China and other BRICS countries, they are ch- trying to challenge that uh, unipolar dominance of this so-called uh, collective waste. So it's not entirely completely a done deal. It's a, we're in transitional phase. So what we need is a balance and a calm and we need dialogues among these major nations, you know, they need to self-regulate their behaviors so that we don't uh, get things out of control. And, you know, these confrontations and tensions might get out of control and they, they might lead to war. That's uh, the biggest concern in many of African and third world countries that uh, we're praying and we're trying to uh, dialogue with them that they need to moderate their actions so that they can, you know, uh, tone down their rhetorics and, you know, uh, uh, escalations. So the the Nepalar world has not, it's not a done deal. We're in transition phase. But these great powers, they need to uh, uh, come to the negotiating table and they need to uh, talk and, you know, uh, sort out their uh, differences. I've spoken to Dr. Maharaj from South Africa about Sputnik and Russia Today's TV channel being banned by the European Union. Yet, meanwhile, Brussels demands freedom of expression in other countries and regions. What is your take on this situation? Freedom of expression should work both ways. You can't like uh, pick and choose this and that, you know. Uh, I know the, the allegations against the Sputniks and RT are there like fake, they are involved in fake news and uh, with the Russian propaganda arm of, but the, the same could be said about the CNN and BBC and other uh, Western affiliated uh, medias. But they pretend to be uh, independent and owned by these private uh, individuals. But actually they advance the geopolitical interest of and the perspective of Western countries. And uh, I believe uh, RT and Sputnik, any other media should be allowed, including CGTN, should be allowed to tell alternative uh, stories, you know, about Africa, about Russia, about China. We need to, we need diversified views and voices about uh, uh, stories of countries, people and governments, uh, how they see uh, the world and events that happen in the world system. So banning them, uh, I actually I think it's going to be very repressive, you know, it's going to affect diversity of voices in the global uh, structure of narratives. So uh, it's not a good idea that uh, the European Union or any other uh, entity bind uh, the voice, the Russian voices, you know. So we need diversified views in the world media space. So we we need to stop this kind of double standards, you know. So uh, we need to focus on, this is the kind of things that uh, BRICS and other collectives and the kind of conversation we are having in Valdai discussion groups so that we need diversified views. This, this is the very notion of multipolarity is that uh, the world is not like liberal. Everyone, everyone has its own stories, it is its own civilizational paths, its own culture. So we need to uh, see that diversified voices and these voices, they need to be provided with equal platform to be heard. Uh, I think so. We need to avoid double standards and, you know, silencing the diversified opinions. One of the topics discussed at the Valdai today is nuclear weapons. What do you think can be done to de-escalate the situation around the possible use of nuclear weaponry today? One of the, the harms, long-term harms of uh, this uh, multipolar world uh, order is, on the one hand, multipolarity has good uh, uh, 
sides uh, in terms of uh, uh, diversifying global uh, voices, you know, uh, bringing powers from all corners of the world, you know, solving problems, uh, mutually uh, discussing, you know, solving problems. At the same time, multipolarity creates its own uh, negative consequences for global security because uh, different centers of power, uh, they might be fighting in uh, the most geostrategically important geographic areas. This is one of uh, the issues with uh, the war in Ukraine. So uh, the threat of nuclear escalation has really increased and is concerning many uh, countries, including great powers and uh, middle powers and, you know, the developing countries uh, in Africa. So the multipolarity has increased this threat, but we need to de-escalate and these great powers, nuclear powers, they need to uh, come up with a way to de-escalate tensions, geopolitical tensions in many uh, flashpoint areas around the globe and de-escalate. But the threat is increasingly increasing by the day and uh, we need urgent solution for this. This is a kind of uh, issue that has, uh, that has been discussed in the Valdai uh, discussions and the rhetorics of uh, these nuclear powers is unsettling, really, is uh, really uh, concerning for us that they are escalating even some suggested that uh, tactical use of nuclear uh, power to settle uh, geopolitical interests among these great powers is really frightening uh, for us so we need you know we need to de-escalate calm down and come to uh, the discussion because once anyone uses nuclear power weapons in any capacity tactically or strategically uses uh, nuclear powers, there is no going back. We're talking about the end of humanity. It's not going to be good for Russia. Nobody survives this uh, nuclear Armageddon. So we have to act responsibly and calmly with this understanding that we're talking about the existence of humanity, the survival of humanity. So nuclear uh, exchange escalation is not a joke. It's a completely different type of uh, uh, weaponry we're talking about. So we have to work in, uh, in terms of uh, stopping proliferation of uh, nuclear powers in the Middle East. Uh, you know, Iran, the, the Saudis with the Israelis, the, the tensions are increasing. The risk of uh, nuclear proliferation is increasing in South China Sea and Eastern Europe, Ukraine, you know, the threat has been increasing over the past two, three years. So we need to calm down and talk through our differences, you know, these tensions need to be uh, de-escalated and we have to stop this uh, proliferation and uh, this nuclear uh, rhetoric. Yesterday, Vladimir Putin made a speech at the Valdai Club explaining Russia's vision of a new global architecture. Let's zoom in on that quickly. First, we want to live in an open, interconnected world where no one will ever try to erect artificial barriers on the path of people's communication, their creative fulfillment and prosperity. There must be a barrier-free environment. That is what we must strive for. Second, we want the diversity of the world not just to be preserved, but to be the foundation of overall development. It should be forbidden to impose on any country or people how they should live and feel. Only true cultural and civilizational diversity will ensure the benefit of people and a balance of interests. Third, we are in favor of maximum representativeness. No one has the right and no one can rule the world for others or on behalf of others. The world of the future is a world of collective decisions made at a level at which they are most effective and made by a set of participants who are truly capable of making a significant contribution to the resolution of a particular problem. One does not decide for all, and not everybody necessarily makes decisions about everything. But those who are directly affected by an issue agree on what to do and how to do it. Fourth, we are in favor of universal 
security and lasting peace built on respect for the interests of all. From great big states to small countries, the main thing is to liberate international relations from the bloc approach, from the legacy of the colonial era and the Cold War. For decades, we have been talking about the indivisibility of security, that it is impossible to ensure the security of some at the expense of the security of others. Indeed, harmony in this sphere is achievable. We just need to put aside hubris and arrogance and stop looking at others as second-class partners or as outcasts or savages. Fifth, we stand for equal justice for all. The era of exploitation of anyone, I repeat, is in the past. Countries and peoples clearly recognize their interests and capabilities and are prepared to count on themselves, and that will add to their strengths. Everyone should have access to the benefits of modern development and attempts to limit it for any country or people should even be considered as an act of aggression. And that is precisely what it is. We are in favor of equality in favor of differences in the potential of different countries. This is an absolutely objective factor, but no less objective is the fact that no one is ready to submit to make their interests and needs dependent on anyone else, and above all, on those who are wealthier or stronger. And this is not just the natural state of the international community, it is the quintessence of the entire historical experience of mankind. These are the principles to which we wish to adhere ourselves and to which we invite all our friends and colleagues to embrace. And the Russian president also called on the West to seize its colonial mindset. Take a look. Maybe it is time for you yourself to get rid of hubris, to stop treating the world community which understands its tasks and interests. And it is time to get rid of this colonial-era mindset. I would like to say, wipe your eyes. This era is long over and will never return. Never. Mr. Keletu, what is your impression of President Putin's speech overall? We finished the, the discussion with uh, His Excellency President uh, Vladimir Putin. He gave us a uh, clear uh, account of the current uh, global uh, situation and the relationship between uh, great powers and how the global system needs to be multipolarized and democratized and diversified that all voices need to be heard and all uh, countries they should be treated equally and their sovereignties and independence should be protected and uh, the global system political and economic institutions should be organized in a way that needs to uh, uh, it takes into account the independence of the sovereignty and the economic needs of countries and countries needs to be treated as equals and independent you know that we have to uh, the need for acknowledging the independence the freedom of countries and their civilizational thoughts and their civilizational history that needs to be respected, other than, you know, trying to mold countries into one uh, perspective, into one view, mm-hmm. you know, one uh, civilization, yeah. rather, uh, we have multiplicity of civilizations in the world, so there is a need to tolerate, to coexist, coexistence and good relationship among these uh, civilizational states and respecting their boundaries, you know, their cultures and perspectives. So. That's my impression of his speech, and it's totally uh, a good idea. The Russian president also mentioned that the West should get rid of its arrogance, that the colonial era has finished, and that it will never come back. To what extent do you agree with that? These are very good principles and ideas, and it was actually, uh, these are the principles, and at least in principle, this is uh, the uh, fundamental thinking behind the foundation of the United Nations. 
charter. The, the, the drafters of that charter envisaged these kinds of thinking and thoughts. But over the time and with time, uh, these principles were violated by uh, geopolitical competition among uh, great powers during the Cold War and uh, after that the unipolarity of Western dominated global system has infringed upon this, violated uh, these uh, principles. But uh, these principles, of course, they are the fundamentals of uh, humanities and societies and relationship among states could be uh, stabilized if we organize the global system in such a way that uh, all countries, small or big, uh, is treated equally and is equally and fairly and justly beneficial to the economic and political uh, advantages of uh, a good globalized world system. So these are good principles and I think they, they work, but we need a political commitment, uh, especially commitment, political commitment, especially from big uh, countries, big economies, you know, countries like Russia and China, India and other, uh, the United States and other Western uh, societies, uh, countries uh, should also commit to this principles. I don't think anyone uh, would uh, contradict these principles, you know. Uh, as they say, the devil is in the detail. Everyone believes in these principles, but uh, getting them on the ground and getting them, you know, institution, getting them institutionalized and practiced is very difficult. That's uh, the kind of uh, political commitment and will that we need for these kinds of principles to be realized in the global system. Russia's President Vladimir Putin also called on the West to get rid of their arrogance and he made the point that the colonial era has ended and that it will never come back. Do you agree with that statement? Yes, definitely. It, uh, we live in a world that uh, no one country, no, no matter how much your economic and uh, military power might be, you cannot dominate uh, the global system. It has been realized. Everyone, all the global elites, all the countries, all the international uh, leaders have acknowledged that, that the, the world has become multipolar, that there are different centers of power and uh, we need to come to the discussion and negotiating table uh, that equal treatment of countries and nations and one group dominating others, you know, silencing alternative voices and uh, silencing diversity of civilizations and thoughts and political systems and economic systems cannot be uh, sustained in this globalization world because there are multiple centers of power in this new world order. So we need to acknowledge that fact and we have to find a way to live with that reality. Uh, that uh, the West or the East, everyone needs to come to that realization and come to, you know, uh, sober assessment and, you know, talk uh, through differences, uh, you know, rather than making uh, out of, uh, you know, uh, making confrontation out of uh, political tensions, rather we need to peacefully resolve uh, differences. You know? So the world has changed. This is a reality. We have to acknowledge that. And that was Jafar Giletu who makes a good point saying that the monopoly of a single currency in global transactions is undesired because of the risks of that leading to the irresponsible use of such power. That said, I wish all the Valdai speakers the best of luck in coming up with credible and efficient solutions to global problems. As for you, our listeners, stay up to date with statements yet to be made at the Valdai Club in our Sputnik Africa Telegram channel, TikTok account and other socials. You can always listen to the Afroverted podcast on various platforms such as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Afripods, Podcast Addict, Pocket Casts, Deezer as well as CastBox. Thanks for tuning in and listening, everyone. Feel free to drop a like and comment below. Hope you all have a wonderful weekend and I'll see you next week. Afro Verdict, brought to you by Sputnik Africa.